Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Tuesday, December 28th, Cheez-It Bowl Eve. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, it feels weird saying that when you've spent six straight years preparing for playoff semifinals this time of year. It's a bit of an adjustment to be talking about the Cheez-It Bowl, but still a lot on the line for Clemson. Ten wins. I'm old enough to remember two decades without that distinction. More about this game at TigerIllustrated.com. And of course, Paul Strilo on top of all the recruiting intel and insight at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parmlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to Uptown Realty SC. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith & Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326- Three five zero seven. Okay, to our conversation, Tyler Carlton, now at Wofford. He was at Clemson, came with Chad Morris to Clemson in January of 2011. So some really cool stories there. Also, some insight into Wes Goodwin. Tyler and Wes met at Clemson and became really good friends. All right, really entertaining trip down the memory lane of this last decade. Here we go. All right, joined by Tyler Carlton, the former Clemson staffer, current co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Wofford. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? Doing great. Uh, I, I was, I guess the, the, the connection here was I, I reached out to you a few weeks ago to talk about Wes Goodwin, uh, who was getting promoted to, to co-defensive coordinator and chief play caller uh, to replace Brent Venables. And we ended up talking for like 45 minutes just talking about the old days and i'm like man this would be a great podcast so uh looking forward to this conversation for sure no doubt it's exciting obviously getting look back it's hard to believe it's been 10 years uh since we first got there from coming from tulsa but it's uh obviously the success that clemson's had over the last decade has been pretty awesome to see and being a small part of it's you know makes it even more special to look back on so some great times there I guess on the West Goodwin front, I didn't know that that you were so close to him uh, when I reached out to you. But you said, were you were in his wedding, or he was in yours? Yeah, so Wes was actually an usher in my wedding. Uh, like I said, been back in 2013. I better make sure I say that right. My wife would get mad. But, um, yeah, so he and I, uh, when I first got there uh, in that January of 2011. Uh, 
he was defensive GA and I was coming in there as an offensive GA and we kind of just hit it off actually ended up uh, living together there for I guess the first I guess year um there and uh you know man just kind of a lot of like-mindedness there and similar you know things we liked and um but yeah we became really close in that time and still are to this day and obviously um you know really excited for him and his opportunity and I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised and see the success that he has and continues to build on that defense there it was interesting um I guess the day after it was official that that BV was going to Oklahoma um, within like 24 hours or so started to get word. Yeah. Wes Goodwin is going to get, is going to get promoted. And I was trying to figure out, okay, is it just temporary for the bowl game? Uh, is it really permanent? And wait a minute, he's co-defensive coordinator. Really? Like even somebody like me, who's somewhat plugged in. I mean, I know, I mean, dating back to the Kevin Steele days, I remember uh, even Kevin talking about him uh, and and how highly thought of he was. It was still kind of a surprise to a lot of people on the outside uh, that he was getting promoted to fill such such big shoes. But everybody I talked to who more who had been on the inside more and who had been around the football program, it was more a sense of oh yeah yeah he he's he's fully capable of doing that and he's one of the. Uh, one of the sort of the the behind the scenes stars of that whole show, and so from your time um, on the same staff with him, what do you recall? I guess he was there. I guess that'd be oh nine ten, or I'm sorry, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four. That's four years mm-hmm. that you were with him. Um, also, that was one year of Kevin Steele, and then three of Venables. What do you remember from sort of how he? stood out behind the scenes even if he didn't stand out to the casual observer from the outside i think just his overall understanding you know philosophically for what they were doing structurally you know from a defensive standpoint and then obviously understanding you know football in general holistically offense defense and you know it's one thing you know especially to know okay here's what we're doing defensively but it's another thing okay why do you do what you do defensively at certain times um you know i think that's kind of like you know using on the flip side like as an offensive play caller and you have a lit you know elaborate schemes elaborate stuff that you do but it's like the play calling and the timing of when you do it is what makes it effective and it's no different defensively you know sending a pressure you know playing a certain coverage to a certain look because you feel like you're going to be able to disrupt the timing of the offense i think that was one thing that wes has always done just because number one is IQ is so high in the football sense. And also in just the normal as a normal person, but just the overall understanding of what they're doing defensively. Um, you know, I think that's one thing too, that people probably on the outside don't probably understand as much as how much the people. And I say the people like us as the guys that were support staff, people, analysts, GAs, how much say they really have, in what goes on on Saturday in terms of, you know, now as even as a coordinator, now the people that are in your support roles, all that information that you get during the week as a defensive play caller, offensive play caller is so critical to how you build your game plan. And so the responsibility that those guys that are off the field have is is really critical to the success that you see on Saturday, that the person and the fan that shows up to sees and says, Oh yeah, they're really good. Well, all that information, all those, you know, tendencies reports, they come from somewhere. And so to Wes's, 
situation and he's the guy that would you know hey you probably know the opponent better than probably the, even the coordinator of the guys on the field coaching at the time because you've broken down 10 11 games you know or whatever it's been that you're fixing to play and so just isn't natural you're going to understand and see tendencies and even be able to say hey coach like these are things they're doing and here's what i feel like with what we do can have success and how to attack it and then as you as a, if you're the defensive coordinator in like bv's case or even like you know coach Steele's, after a time you're like hey i trust this guy the things he's giving me is good stuff and it's working then like anything you get a little more trust you get a little you give them a little bit more hey ask for that input and then you see it continues to have success and so you're like hey this guy is very valuable and I think that's the part where you know with Wes like his value that he brings and brought it in that role that he was in was was critical to the success that um you know and then having that heavy involvement kind of going back to what you said more so even when Steele and BV were still there that a lot of the things were going on were probably Wes had his hand in a lot of it anyway it's just then the outside person's not going to see that just because his name's not on the front of it and all those things that the guys that are the full-time guys get, you know, week to week, you know, cause they're not the ones having to answer for it. So. So what is Wes like off the field? I mean, you said y'all had, you know, sort of connected early on, right. uh, as far as similar interests and things like that. I think people are interested to know what he's like off the field. What, what is he just sounds like he's just a down home, kid from mississippi who likes country music and fishing and things like that is am i getting it right for the most part yeah i mean he is i mean he and i, I mean i grew up in oklahoma he grew up in la as i call it lower alabama so like you know hunting fishing a lot of those similar interests he had he and i, I mean, we would spend time fishing and we and i we had a used to have a family place down in uh cape coral uh, Florida a few years back and he and I took a trip after signing day one year and went down and went fishing actually Brad Scott took care of us when we went down there down there by where he was uh, grew up and has a place and so we spent a couple of days fishing down there and uh just a lot of like like-minded stuff we like to play golf uh you know I think one thing that probably was the the, the one thing that probably you know probably naturally attracted the two of us was our love obviously for football and we were ate up with it, um, but we also two hundred. There's other things we like to do. Um, like I said, we like to hunt, we like to fish. Um, you know, we. Uh, I remember sitting there and we were we had all these old DVDs, which is funny now. You think about DVDs and uh, these old CDs we'd get, and they were just old cutups and, and, and film from um, you know different. Uh, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, old, I mean, back when the Cleveland Browns days, we'd sit there at night at the apartment there and we'd watch these, these old NFL films and these old cut-ups that talking about cover three. And we'd sit there and it'd be two or three in the morning. And we'd look up and be like, man, we need to go to bed. We have to go to work in a couple hours. Cause we just sit there and you lose track of time. And, and just kind of those, I think all football guys are just kind of alike. And there's, you know, you're around so many different people throughout your career. And then early on, you just kind of, you know, you're naturally attracted to the people that are, are very similar to you and just kind of kind of getting a hole in the wall and say, hey, man, I think one thing that makes Wes really, you know, good at what he does is I think sometimes young guys get in there and they, you know, always want to talk and always want to, you know, kind of be the, 
the idea guy or kind of show everybody what they know versus just sometimes it's best you just sit back and kind of listen, take notes. I think that's one thing that Wes obviously, you know, was a quiet guy by nature, but very smart and did a very good job of watching the room, could read the room very well and kind of know, hey, when to interject. And then if you're asked, you kind of give your opinion, but make sure when you are asked that it's going to be something that's going to be worthwhile and be able to help, you know, overall and I think that's probably what allowed him to kind of separate and uh, have the success that he's had yeah I mentioned Mississippi you're right he's from uh, Alabama uh, Woody McCorvey's same uh, same hometown and Woody McCorvey brought him I guess he was the main figure in bringing mm-hmm. Wes from Starkville and I guess that's the best compliment of all when you're a student assistant and somebody like Woody thinks so much of you to, to tell Dabo hey we need to have this guy Oh, yeah, I think that's the, you know, I think as any young coach and especially um, when you're around, you know, certain people, you want to bring some value, you know, to the program. I say anybody can, you know, GA sometimes and young guys, I tell them all the time, like, you know, make sure you bring some value to what's going on. Anybody can go get coffee or do the stuff that's, you know, whatever. But are you a guy that when somebody gets a job or somebody leaves, are they going to be like, Hey, I got to take that guy with me because he's going to help me. And I think that's one thing that you saw right there with Wes was here's a guy who was around Ellis Johnson was around Sylvester Croom, coach McCorvey, those guys, they get done there in that tenure. And it was like, Hey, there's a guy that you need to bring along. And it's something as a simple role that you may see as like a GA or analyst, whatever it may be, but this guy's going to bring value to the program. And it was like, Hey, I mean, I spoke volumes of Wes and the type of guy that he was and, you know, what he did and what he brought to that Mississippi State program was like, hey, as you're building this thing here at Clemson now, here's a guy that's going to help us. And so I think it was just, a, you know, obviously a testament, a compliment to him and the work that he'd done there at Mississippi State. Where was y'all's apartment in Clemson? It was over there at Heritage Hills right there on 123 across from, uh, oh, it's a car dealership yeah. over there now on the way to Seneca. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny now to look back and laugh 10 years now, you know, you're sitting there and he, now he's the defensive coordinator at Clemson. And, and obviously that's just pretty awesome notice. To, but those are the things you remember and you laugh and you're like, man, it's pretty cool to sit there and who'd have thought a decade later, you know, it'd be where you are now. So did both of you meet your, your wives in Clemson uh, when y'all were here? Uh, I met, I'd known mine a little bit before I moved to Clemson. Uh, she actually lived in Charlotte at the time, and I was still at Tulsa. She actually was roommates at uh, Auburn with my cousin. That's how we had met. And uh, But now Wes met his uh, whenever he was out in uh, Arizona. Oh, okay. So, what, uh, what do you remember, I guess, from his I guess recollections of, of that three years he spent under Bruce Arians? What was, he, was he just kind of a, coming up with special – situational type stuff. I think I read somewhere where he was the he was the guy to come up with some two minute things for, for Coach Arians. Yeah, I don't know exactly what is, you know, the day to day part, um, in terms of what he did, you know, week to week for game plan, you know, responsibilities. Um, I know in our conversations, you know, throughout the time just how much you know, it had always been a goal for him to get to the NFL and had that opportunity with some of those connections and um but I know that um they thought very highly of him out there. Um, and obviously and what they were doing and, and obviously BA did as well. Um, but no, I mean, just, to, you know, just the learning part, I think, um, you know, you're around the, 
world's most elite players at that level, the best of the best. And the, um, I mean, I think being able to, you know, him to learn and continue to develop. And then as he came back to Clemson, you take those things that he learned and kind of apply those and, you know, show kind of, hey, here's something maybe. I mean, you're exposed to different things and you're able to kind of lean back on those when you, especially coming back to Clemson probably and say, hey, we had this situation here, this worked. And I think that was even more so adds to why probably BV felt really comfortable with, with a guy like Wes because, you know, he did have those experiences and you've been exposed to different things um, throughout his, you know, young career. As I'm sort of <clears throat> envisioning this, uh, uh, this, this, I'm trying to paint the picture of, of you and him at two in the morning watching cut-ups of Belichick and Saban. Yeah, you're the offensive guy. I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's, he's at, Wes is a defensive guy, so he's interested in the foremost defensive minds and some of that stuff. But I guess as an offensive guy, you can still, there's still plenty for you to learn in watching some of the insights and, uh, expertise of Saban and Belichick as well? Oh, no question. I think that's one thing probably that gets, you know, if I go to a clinic or go to listen to somebody talk, I mean, most of the time, you know, what you believe philosophically you're going to do, you know, whether on one side of the ball or other, I enjoy and I like going and listening to defensive guys talk because I want to know how they're defending things and what they're teaching, you know, from a technique standpoint. And, hey, when they're seeing this, here's what they like like to call in these situations, you know, how they like, you know. And so the more I watch on defense, obviously I feel like, okay, now as an offensive guy, you kind of feel like, hey, I got a better chance now to combat that because I know what defensive guys are going to want to do, how they're going to play certain looks. And so I think you get more value out of going and watching. Like one of my favorite things to do is to go and, you know, I go watch and listen to, you know, at clinics, DBs guys talk or, you know, watch, listen to, you know, linebackers, coaches, and, or D-line guys, um, because I want to know how they're playing certain things, you know, when they get a certain block up front, you know, how they're teaching that three-tech to play it, you know, and, and I think it just helps you now as an offensive play caller because you kind of, you know, you know what may happen before it does happen, and you kind of stay one step ahead or at least try to. So um, I think that's in it. Probably the same way for most defensive guys, too. You know, what do offensive guys like out of these looks? You know, the guys on the ball or guys off the ball, what route's coming? You know, it's, you know, I think football's a pretty simple game. Sometimes those coaches make it pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, one of the, in my opinion at least, one of the most remarkable uh, statistics or, or national championship uh uh, accomplishments was holding that 2000 Clemson holding that 2018 Alabama offense 16 points and one of the indelible memories from that uh, from the run up to that uh, it's Goodwin related and one of the first things I thought of when uh, when it became obvious he was he was ascending to defensive coordinator was like two days before the game they have a media day where you can talk to anybody anybody on the team player coaches whatever and so I had been watching Alabama's offense, and I was just curious to pick some brains of some of the defensive guys uh, to see if some of my sort of suspicions or whatever things that I had gathered on my own were, were, were whether I was sort of headed in the right direction with some of my observations. And so I go up to Wes, <laughs> and I start sort of asking him, hey, can I pick your brain on Alabama? Man, he locked up. He did, 
he did not say a word. And you could just tell he was like the the cat that ate the canary. He didn't want to give give away any secrets at all and probably had been coached on do not say a word about what we're going to do or anything about Alabama's offense. I'm curious how closely were you watching that game and, you know, clearly they did something to Tua early on that he had not seen um, all year and really sort of brought him to his knees, I guess maybe taking away his first read or something like that. I'm curious for if you can remember – and if you watched it closely enough, what you're what you were thinking as you watched that game, because I don't think it's I don't think it's something that anybody expected was for Clemson to win that way. Yeah, I'm trying, you know, I don't remember a lot off the top of my head. I'm trying to think back real quick. I know one thing that I think, you know, as I recollect in my mind real quick, I do know it seemed like um, one thing that Clemson did a really good job of was confusing, you know, to a pre-snap you know, with his looks in terms of, you know, a lot of this quarterback, you know, he's coached, hey, if I get this look, I know I got easy an alert ball to go um, to this guy. If I get the certain, you know, look pre-snap, if not, I'm off to my progression. Well, I think one thing that they did a really good job was, was they did a good job of disguising, um, you know, coverage and what they were going to in terms of it may look like they're going to roll to a certain coverage or a safety was going to roll to a post safety meeting, play that middle of field close, and they didn't. I think it confused the look, and so when Tua was delivering the football, um, you know, he was throwing into guys into coverage and guys that weren't open because he was confused. And I think that was probably, you know, anytime you get into a situation where you've got about a month to prepare for somebody, um, you're able to kind of maybe really get a better idea for, you know, what somebody's fixing to do to you. And I think that was one thing that probably – as they went through over time, it was like, Hey, you know, this is something that maybe we could get to him uh, and, and mess up his reads. And cause so much of that is, you know, from an offensive perspective is so much pre-snap anticipation, post-snap confirmation of what you're going to get. Um, and when you're able to mess those up, if, if you have not seen that before as a quarterback, it can be tough. And then obviously in a situation like the national championship, now those in-game adjustments become so critical and then it's going to be how you respond to those in that moment when all obviously it's in a heightened environment and it just kind of, once it got rolling, I think it just allowed them to kind of take over and they made it to where by the time they either realize what's going on or are able to adjust it's too late because the momentum takes over at that point, you know? And, uh, but I, I remember off the top of my head, it just seemed like they did some things in the secondary that were things that, you know, Tua had not seen in terms of disguising a lot of those coverage reads. Yeah, there was like a pick six by A.J. Terrell. I want to say on the third play, third play of the game, maybe. Anyway, and yeah, I think that was an example uh, of that. Um, you know, what's interesting and, and, and kind of uh, refreshing is to hear, uh, you're from you're an Oklahoma guy, uh, no roots uh, growing up around Clemson. Wes, uh, lower Alabama, like you said, went to Mississippi State. But when I, when I hear him talk, when I hear you talk, such a deep attachment and love for Clemson and Dabo. And can you maybe reflect on that? And what, what is it that uh, with, with, with the two of you and, and probably many more people um, mm-hmm. who, who didn't grow up pulling for Clemson, didn't grow up in this area, this state, but still have, have developed a, a real uh, affinity uh, for this place. I think it's like you said, it's the people. And I think it, you know, you hear that a lot of times and it gets thrown around there, but that's, 
I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, uh, obviously coach Sweeney, um, you know, I would, I would say outside of, you know, my dad and granddad, you know, coach has probably had the most, you know, impact on my life, um, in terms of who I am and, and how I go about as a coach and as a husband, and as a dad, um, my oldest was born uh, when we were there at Clemson towards the end of our time. But just, um, I think Clemson's a special place. And I say that, I mean, obviously I got a master's from there, so um, I can claim to be an alumni. But, uh, you know, I think it's just the people. I mean, we're still extremely close to a lot of our friends uh, that we, you know, lived there, uh, lived by when we were there. And like I said, you know, and then for me personally, um, you know, it's, like I said, my wife and I got married when we were there. Um, our oldest was born there in Greenville. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, it's just, if you ask us, you know, where our family started, obviously in coaching, you know, we're nomads by nature, so we're always moving around. And, but if you ask us where home is, uh, you know, we're going to tell you the upstate of South Carolina because that's where our family started. And so, you know, it's nice now being obviously up at Wofford, you know, right down the road. And so you're back in that upstate area. And so there's a lot of familiarity going back there, but, um, I think it's, it's the people. Um, I think it's, it's very similar to where I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, you know, small town, uh, handshakes mean something and, and people are genuine in what they say. And, um, you hear all the time. I used to hear when I first got there, people would say, uh, you know, Clemson's different. Clemson's different. And at first, when you get there, you don't really understand it. Maybe you don't think about it like that because you're like, well, you know, it's a job. It's a place. It's, you know, the next place you are. But as you get ingrained into the environment, you get ingrained in the culture that coaches built, you realize it is different. And uh, I think unless you've spent time there, whether going to school there, living there, coaching there, and being a part of it, it's tough to understand. And I think obviously you guys are around the program, you know, a lot and kind of see that. But I think anybody that goes there and spends any amount of time um, is going to realize really quickly that this place, it is different. And, uh, you know, I hear people all the time say that people make the place and that's true. Um, what makes Clemson special is the people. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you look back at the time, like when we first got there, um, in 2011, coming from Tulsa and seeing the build phase of that 11 team, that 12 team, the 13, the 14 team to, to the success they've had making the run in the CFP and, and all those, you know, um, you knew it was coming. You knew it was a matter of time. Um, the things were just starting to align that way. But I think the consistency and the people there, just, you knew it was, you knew the place was special. When but you, I think that starts with obviously with Coach Sweeney. But, when you say that he's one of the top two or three most important people in your life as a man, mm-hmm. let's unpack that some. Like how so? What what are what are some of the ways? I, you know, for me, like I was fortunate. I grew up in a family that was, you know, mom and dad were around. Um, you know, I got a sister that's a couple years younger than me, and um, but just you know, as a young coach realizing because i think sometimes we see so much of guys that maybe in the profession that have got there and they've sacrificed a ton of things to have success in their career and you look back and you know they've missed a lot of things um but like coaches tell us all the time he's like man you choose to miss those things Mm. like 
it's not a deal where you know and probably what i learned as a young coach and i always say you know you, you're at certain places at certain points in your career for a reason and you know i mean you saw every day how you could be a really good husband you could be a really good dad and be a really good football coach and win at the highest level and do things a certain way that maybe not be might not be the norm that you see on you know the tv or the, what everybody's done in the profession you know it's like nowadays with technology i mean it's unbelievable in the coaching profession used to it was everybody well they bragged about sleeping on air mattresses and being up there 18 19 hours a day and all these things and it was like now you know with the internet it's like you don't have to do those things like you know sometimes you know how much is enough it goes back to like i said earlier right the game's simple coaches make it complicated and so uh, you're still dealing with 18 to 22 year olds in terms of what they can you know compartmentalize and do without being robotic but i think just you know the everyday aspect of you know, one thing, Coach, you know, like I said, he coaches coaches kids, you know, spring baseball season. I mean, we're sitting there, and I remember we'd gone to Oklahoma State to visit, I think it was the spring of 13. We went out there to visit with Coach Gundy and the staff, and um, so we fly to Stillwater. And I remember one thing we, Coach was sitting there and staff me one day, and he was talking about how, you know, our weekends, when you add them up throughout the course of the year, you just didn't get a lot of them off because – official visits and recruiting camps in the summer. There was just a lot of things, obviously like any job, but especially in ours and you're trying to find ways to, to get away. And I remember one thing from that trip was, you know, where coach kind of quit this uh, practice in the spring on the weekends, except for maybe one or two. We had like a youth day or a scrimmage from the fall, uh, spring scrimmage, but it was like, Hey, we're going to practice like, for example, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then, Hey, we'll take the weekend off and see you on, you know, Monday morning and come back at it. And let's try to create those weekends to where you get them. Cause we don't get a lot anyway. And so it's just little things like that of just, you know, you don't have to, you know, do things a certain way. Cause it's always been done like this. I think that's one thing that where coach is very comfortable in who he is. Um, he's very genuine and he believes down to his core and what he believes in. And, he doesn't really care what anybody else thinks. And uh, I think that's what makes him special and unique is so many people get so caught up in trying to be something else or be somebody they're not where he is like, Hey, here's what I believe. And here's what I'm going to do. I think just as a young guy, just, you know, it allowed me to say, Hey, you know, don't sacrifice everything in your life for a job, no matter what it is, but especially in this profession. Cause if you let it, you, you know, your priorities can get shifted around very quickly. Um, because you get caught up in the pressure to win or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, I know for me, like my wife and my two boys, like at the end of the day, I'm, I mean, I'm loyal to them, right? They're the ones that are going to still be there. And so uh, my dad gave me some advice one time when I first got into coaching. He said, look, he said, if you get, if they interview your kids one day and they're 22, 23 years old, and they said, hey, if you tell me who Tyler Carlton is, and they say, well, he's a really good football coach. If that's their first response to the question, he's like, then you're in trouble. You've probably failed. Instead of like, well, he's, he's, a, he's my dad or he's, you know. And so I think that's, you know, it's always kind of stuck with me. And then just seeing it every day of, uh, you know, who he was, the consistency part of it. Um, you know, I lost my dad there towards the end of my time. It comes in the last probably nine months uh, suddenly. And mm-hmm. um, it was just – you know, the, the part of it every day of just, you know, 
around most people and, and probably need is changing because I mean, I first got there, I've been in a place where I'd only known one way. Um, and you get there and you're kind of like, man, you know, what are we doing? Like, it's kind of, it's different than maybe you think and maybe you'd seen. And then after a while you start seeing the things and you're like, okay. And you start kind of buying you're like, Hey, like I see now why he's doing it and you can have fun. And it's not just a, you know, misery. Like we get to coach football for a living. Like, you know, there's people out there that, that you know, have real jobs and, and get to go sit in a cubicle, as I say all the time. And, you know, we get to coach football and, and, and have a lot of fun doing it. And I think that, you know, it's, you know, and number one, don't take yourself too serious. And uh, number two is, you know, uh, the core values that you believe in um, are going to shape you over your course of your life. And when you're around those like-minded people, you just see. So I know that's a long answer. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I remember seeing you talk about spring practice, having the weekends off. I also, you know, the Tuesdays and Thursdays, I remember my daughters played youth softball years ago over at Nettles Park, and I would see Venables there every day, every Tuesday and Thursday. I'm like, well, how did he How did he get away? You know, now I'm thinking, oh, well, that's right, Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. oh, th- those are the youth sports. Those are the days when Dabo has been coaching baseball and such over the years. So he sort of you clock out, I guess, oh, yeah. you know, early five o'clock or whatever on those days and you're out with your kids, teams and all that stuff. And I remember, you know, even, uh, you know, coach Morris, you know, he had Chandler and McKenzie were young at the time and, uh, she was playing volleyball in high school and Chandler was playing. I mean, he would, we'd get down to practice and he may leave and go watch them and then come back. And I think that was a thing you realize, like the football part will be there. Um, you know, and you can always come back at the office if you want and get work done and, or work at home now, like I said, with technology and, uh, you know, but your kids are, they're only going to be, you know, young for so long as we all know. And, um, when that time's gone, you don't get that back. And, uh, you know, if you're sitting there, if you're sitting there on your deathbed one day and there's nobody around you, um, but you got a lot of wins, um, you know, it's going to be pretty lonely. Um, and we all understand that it's a production based business and, um, we're ultimately judged by that school board. Um, and that's okay. We know what we signed up for, but, um, I think, you know, bring those people along with you, um, to where, and one thing I've always tried to do, you know, me speaking personally with my two boys now that they're five and six is I want them to love football because football is a part of what we do. It's not like, well, football's the enemy because it took my dad away. And I think that was one thing that Coach Sweeney and those and his staff, and he's done a really good job of it wasn't where there's my football life and my family. No, they're combined. Like, they're together. And you just – because it is a different it is a different lifestyle. I mean, it's not a normal 8 to 5 where you just shut it off. And, you know, when the clock hits 5 o'clock, you're getting in the car and driving home, and then you don't think about it till the, you know, Monday morning again when you pull in there. But, um, you know, it's more of a lifestyle um, – because it is, but I think too, you got to be able to get away from it. I think you can choose to let it eat you up in those times and have that, that sacred time with your family and, um, you know, not get all ate up with it along the way. But I think you got to make sure they, you know, they are a part of it. Like they said, the Wednesday night family dinners and that they do and those types of things. I think that's, you know, when you're in the weeds of the place that you're at at the time, Sometimes you maybe don't understand why things are the way they are. But once you leave a place, usually you look back and say, oh, you have those moments of like, 
now I know why coach did things the way he did them or why they were a certain way. And there's a purpose in everything. I think that's always the, you know, you realize at the time, like how important that was. This is a young coach. At least I did, if that makes sense. Yeah. Before I hit record, you were talking about uh, the last few days being around your family, Christmas time, you, free time you almost don't know what to do with yourself because you're so sort of programmed to to be to be to be going going at it really hard so i guess that gets to another thing i'm curious about as part of that it's like what is one thing to allocate time on a calendar okay like these mm-hmm. days you're gonna have these weekends off dur- during the spring or whatever but how hard is it to to mentally I mean, when you're so passionate about something, when football is who you are, or whatever profession it is, how hard is it to totally sort of disconnect to 100% devote that time to your kids? And I'm actually asking that more <laughs> partly for advice, <laughs> I'll say, oh, yeah. as, a, as, as much as a question, you know, just a, a question interested in about how you do it. You know, it's probably, it's probably the million-dollar question out there. Um, yeah, and it probably everybody's probably different. Um Cause it is tough. Um, like I said, uh, I love to hunt and fish and love to play golf. Don't play a lot of it now because I mean, my boys are five and six. They're starting to like golf, but, uh, you know, when they're young, it's like, well, if I go play golf, that's four or five hours. I'm not around my boys. So I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, before I had kids, I mean, heck I play golf all the time in the off season. Uh, cause that was, I didn't have kids and my, you know, before I was married and now it's like, because your time is so sacred and you're trying to find those times, it's just, you know, and obviously in recruiting that phone's going to ring and the kid's going to call and you got to take this call and, and all those things. And, um, but I mean, like, I just kind of look back, like even over the break a little bit, you know, you stay in contact with the guys you're recruiting. And but I think you got to do also is I finally, you just put the phone down and you say, Hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer it unless it's just an emergency. And, and you kind of say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to step away. And, and, and I, I say that because it's right after Christmas. There's people that text me on Christmas. I've still not text back because I finally was, I was like, I just got to leave it alone because if you don't, it'll eat you up. Um, but I've just always tried to, you know, and it's and probably in the coaching profession, especially it's tough just because like you said, it's a passion part of it. It is a recruit calls. And that's obviously the, the lifeblood of your program um, but I think it's just, you gotta be able to say, Hey, when I get home, all right, I've got this kind of time. And if it's, you know, two hours before the boys go to bed, then I'm going to make sure these two hours are locked into what they're doing or, you know, um, spending time with them. And I just try to make sure I'm just specific. Like you said, the calendar is set and our, okay, I know I got these vacation times, um, because it is hard. Um, you know, I like, uh, like my hobbies now, I said, I enjoy watching film. We need to go back to like with Wes, like probably what, what, what probably allowed us probably to, you know, become close was, uh, that's kind of like what I said, our hobby. We like watching film. I mean, my boys go to bed, you know, I'll sit there and pull up some tape and watch football again, just cause I enjoy it. It's like, I mean, you're just, uh, but I think when, when when my boys are doing something, if they want to, you know, it's it's be locked in 100% on them and just, I think it's healthy too. And as I've gotten older, I've tried to do a lot better at that. Probably early on, it was, 
football, football, football. And then now that I got kids and, and those things that are getting older, you know, your priorities shift, um, I think naturally uh, to where you're like, you know what? Um, I want to be a really, really good dad. I want to be a really, really good husband. And then also to be a really good coach. And so, um, you try to compartmentalize your life a little bit, at least I do. And that's just how it works for me. I'm very routine oriented, and, you know, kind of like, Hey, here's what I, my wife knows what I'm doing at like Monday, like at 10 30 in the morning, she can tell you like, Hey, well, he's watching second down or whatever. Like, <laughs> she she kind of knows like, that's just kind of how I operate. But like, you know, for me, it's like, there's three things. It's like, you know, I get up every day. It's like, I want to be the best father of Christ. I can be, be the best husband and dad and be the best coach. I can be where I am. And, and, those three things like that, like when I focus on those things, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good in terms of just like, I can control those things after that. There's not a whole lot of things that you really got control over. Cause you know, everything's so externally motivated with everything. It's like, man, I'm going to focus on those things. And if I do that, then everything else kind of, you know, happens, but I, cause I got no control over it. But I, those three things I'm like, man, I, how I treat people, you know, how I am with my wife and my kids. And then the type of effort I put into my, you know, job as a coach and developing people and men, those are things that I can, can have control in and how I, you know, use my time and energy. And so, you know, I, I try to look at it from that perspective and, and just keep that. The main thing, the main thing is people say, uh, but I think it's just, you got to just kind of, make a decision. It's probably like if you say, Hey, you know, I weigh 210 pounds. I want to get down to 200. I got to quit eating sweets at Christmas. It's like, you just got to walk away from the table <laughs> and, uh, you know, and say, Hey, I'm going to go do this. And, uh, I know for me, like we had a tough year, obviously at Wofford this past year, ships and over philosophies offensively. And, um, you know, sometimes your, you know, your kids are, are good for that. Um, I know when I was at Western Carolina, you know, we'd lost a game. I remember I'm sitting on the couch and I come home after the game. I'm kind of down. And my son was, I don't know, two year or two old at the time. And he hopped up on the couch with the truck and wanted to play. And then you realize kind of in those aha moments, like, don't number one, don't take yourself too serious. And it's just a ball game. It's important. It's what we do. Um, but, you know, you realize in that moment, sometimes you're like, hey, okay, like, it's going to be all right. And so you just, you know, you kind of keep the main thing the main thing. So. so so you played at Tulsa as both a receiver and a punter from 04 to 06. Mm-hmm. Uh, won a Conference USA Championship in 05. Um, graduated in 09. So you were there when Malzahn was there as, as the as the OC? I, I was. So that was uh, – he came in there uh, the 2007 season. And then uh, my first year finishing up, I guess – had my degree that 08 fall uh, was his second year there. So I was a student assistant. I was on defense at the time, but um, that 08 season. But, yes, he was there, and he left to go to Auburn as the coordinator. And that's uh, the year before Coach Morris got there. It was was Graham the head coach that whole time at Tulsa? He was uh, from that 07 season on. Before that, my first three years was uh, Steve Cragthorpe and uh, – um, played for him, and then Coach Graham came in that 07 season. So he'd been our defensive coordinator for a couple of years, and then gone to Rice for a year and came back. Okay, and I tell you the the transition at Clemson it took to the Morris offense is is so fascinating because 
as you know, in, in 2010, Clemson is six and seven, and uh, not many people thinking Dabo has what it takes to be a successful head coach. And then Morris, not really on the radar, only in hindsight was that move regarded as, oh, slam dunk, rock star coordinator. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dabo went and found him. But the interesting thing sort of relative to you is Morris was only at Tulsa for a year, but that's enough time for him to have seen something in you enough to bring you to Clemson. Can you maybe, can you share how all that went down? Yeah. I mean, so I was already there obviously and, and started as finishing my degree and it'd been a, uh, you know, a quality control and uh, we're sitting there and Malzahn had left the year before to go to Auburn. Um, we had a year in 09 there, um, didn't, you know, went five and seven. Um, Coach Graham actually coached on offense that year and uh, we struggled a little bit and then he obviously is a defensive guy by nature wanted to get back to that so he's going to hire a coordinator and uh, you look at that staff I mean Mike Norvell was the receivers coach wow. uh, um, Herb Hand uh, was the offensive line coach uh, shoot uh, Keith Patterson was our defensive coordinator he was DC at Texas Tech he just got the head job at Abilene Christian. Um, who, I mean, there's a ton of guys on that staff that were going on. Obviously, Coach Norvell at Florida State. And, um, and so we're sitting there, and uh, he hires Coach Morris uh, from Lake Travis, who obviously had you know, tremendous success there in, in the state of Texas, and um, comes in and, you know, kind of gets back to the roots offensively of what we've done and had success. And so he and I just kind of hit it off. I think, uh, you know, just kind of similar in our thoughts and um, kind of had the same, you know, vision and, and those types of things. I think people kind of talking about earlier with the West, you just kind of, there's certain people you naturally attract to and, and how they do things. And uh, both, you know, extremely competitive and, and, and obviously had a lot of the like-minded stuff. And then obviously had a really good year. Uh, that 2010 season, um, when we go up to Notre Dame, beat Notre Dame, um, and uh, one game short of winning the uh, division there in uh, Conference USA at the time. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there, we had a, we were like a top five uh, offense in the country. I think we're top 10 in rushing in, passing, um, you know, and we're sitting there and, uh, coach had had some opportunities and had some people that had reached out to him. Um, we were sitting there and, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty good program in terms of time, you know, uh, teams that had, you know, played in the national championship in the previous years and had kind of reached out to them. And, um, you know, so we kind of felt like there was something going to happen and, uh, we just didn't know what. And so he had kind of said, Hey, if I get an opportunity, man, you know, I want to, bring you with me and all those things and we're out in Hawaii at the Hawaii Bowl and uh you know he's on the phone and I'm sitting there and I'm like all right you know something's going on we kind of knew so you're kind of sitting there waiting and we literally get to practice at the stadium and we're sitting there in this flex line I'll never forget this and uh it's we played on Christmas Eve so it's like I don't know 22nd or something and uh we're sitting there and the guys are flexing. We're fixing to start practicing. Coach just kind of comes bebopping through there as y'all like to see with Coach Morris. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, uh, you want to go to Clemson with me? And it kind of caught me off guard because I was like, uh, we talked about some other places, but then all of a sudden it was like this one that we hadn't talked about. And so, I mean, me and 
I was like, heck yeah. I was like, you need me to get on a plane right now? I was like, I'll fly from Honolulu to you know, South Carolina <laughs> if I need to. Like, And uh, so we played the game. And obviously, uh, we played Hawaii and beat them pretty good. Put up, you know, I think 60-something points on them. And, but uh, I remember that day when he had that conversation with me. We're down at the beach uh, later that day. Um for a couple of hours and the whole time, a lot of the time at the beach, I think he and coach Sweeney were on the phone and just, you know, having conversations and, and talking through it. And, um, it just kind of progressed from there. And then I remember, uh, we played the game. We got back to Tulsa. Um, I think he was scheduled to, uh, go out there on his interview, but we watched the bowl game, I guess, playing, uh, South Florida. Was that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember I came to I, I landed because I had stayed with my family in, in Hawaii for a couple more days, and then we flew back. And I remember uh, <laughs> he and I printed off a roster and uh, sat there in his living room there in Tulsa and watched the bowl game. And uh, I think it was in that next weekend or whatnot was, uh, you know, uh, he was out there, in, you know, going through the interview process or whatnot. And uh, I guess it was a couple weeks later I was headed to South Carolina and. Uh, you know, to get going and, and, and that, but it was just, yeah, it happened fast and furious and just, um, you know, I think, um, all those things were, you know, the success we had. And then, um, obviously what we were doing schematically. And then you talk about the time walking into Clemson, you know, like I said, timings, everything, you know, whether it's the coaching profession, whether it's, you know, all those things. And you talk about just, walking into a situation that was, you know, you couldn't have made it any better in terms of what we were getting um, coming in. Now, obviously, we didn't know, you know, what the Sammy Watkins of the world or, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the Taj Boyds were going to turn into. Um, but the exciting part of it was we felt like, hey, we did something schematically at Tulsa that had a lot of success. We were able to recruit players that probably we wouldn't have normally gotten at a place like Tulsa because of what we were doing offensively. Now it's all relevant of who you're playing. Um, but we were like, man, now we're at a place like Clemson and, and coach Malzahn, you kind of seen that success. And when they won the national championship at Auburn, that 10 season doing that stuff. And so you're like, now you've got this scheme that we believed in with players. Now that are even better, it was like, Hey, this thing can be something special. Um, now for me to sit here and tell you that we thought the first year we'd do what we did. No, but we thought it, we, you know, we could get to that point over the, you know, a two year period. Um, but, uh, just kind of watching those pieces. I mean, I tell people all the time, like you look at that 2011 team, I mean, there's seven or eight guys on that offense that played on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, we had some really good players, you know, from Dwayne Allen, you had Andre Ellington. I mean, probably, obviously we know about Nuke and, and, and Sammy and Humphreys and, and those guys, Dalton and uh, I think Brandon Thomas, you know, Tyler Shatt with some guys, but it was like, I think the thing that, you know, and a guy like probably didn't get as much credit as he, you know, deserves is Jerron Brown was mm-hmm. a guy that was in there kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but I mean, obviously had success on Sundays as well, but like, you know, just guys, um, you know, we knew coming out of that spring, you know, we felt like once we got there at the Clemson that we, we had some pieces to the puzzle. We felt like we just had the 
you know, get somebody that could, you know, be an elite player on the outside. We knew we had good players, but we just, because we felt like schematically the system was going to fit. Um, we knew we were going to, you know, be that two back, run the ball, play action, pass down the field. We needed that guy that was the, you know, take the top of us, so to speak. And um, I'll never forget Paul Camp. We're sitting there and uh, about the first day. <laughs> You see that Sammy Watkins roll out there, and you're like, okay. And that second day at practice, you're like, yeah, he's going to be on the first depth chart there. We'll go ahead and make that move. <laughs> um, and then obviously everybody knows what happened there. But I think there was, you know, when I say the timing piece of it, we just kind of walked into that situation that was really good. Um, they've done a really good job recruiting those guys. And then um, the system fit perfectly for what those guys did well. And, um, you know, and Taj, obviously, man, he's one of the, you know, best college quarterbacks I've been around and competitors. And I mean, the fit for him and what we did schematically and those things, I think just it all kind of meshed really well. And that's why you saw that success. And uh, we laugh all the time about, you know, we're playing Troy that first game. We're losing, getting booed. And I'm saying, <laughs> Here we go. You know, we're at, the, we're at the big time now. This is it. And we're getting booed by losing to Troy. And, and they play Wofford, I think, the next week. And yeah. I, I, I laugh because I'm like, we're getting beat. And I remember Chad coming up to me on the sideline. It's no joke. He's like, well, this might be a quick Carolina vacation here. I mean, we, we like, I mean, we knew, like, hey, like, we, we hadn't been doing this long, but we weren't naive enough to sit there and be like, hey, if we lose this football game, like, well, they're going to pack us up and send us back ourselves. Like, and wow. so, uh, <laughs> I mean, and it's so it's so crazy, and I, you know, you look at how things change, and like that game, we so we end up obviously, you know, winning that game as Wofford, but like, and then you rally on, you go eight and zero, and I mean, you beat what we uh, beat uh, Virginia Tech and Auburn, and they broke Auburn's what seventeen game yeah. win streak if they won it, and then uh, I think we beat Auburn first, then Virginia Tech, and then well, Florida, Florida State, State Florida State yeah. won at Virginia Tech, yeah. Yeah, and so first team to beat, you know, three top 25 teams, I think, in a row um, in the ACC or whatever, and uh, some big wins and start 8-0. And, and I mean, you know, and, and really we're pretty close in terms of, you know, making a run. I think it was a young football team there and kind of ran into that buzzsaw in Atlanta on Halloween weekend. Uh, but, you know, end up winning the league and then and, and obviously uh, – you know, get a chance to go to the BCS Bowl. But, I mean, yeah, it was, you know, to sit there and think and to sit here and tell you that, you know, we thought, oh, yeah, we'll come in and, and win the league from, I laugh, I say, yeah, from getting booed to almost, you know, losing to an FCS team to end up winning the league to go into the BCS Bowl. And then obviously what happens there. And then, you know, obviously, you know, BV coming in, I think, I mean, just it, it's, a lot happened in that in those few months and then obviously the trajectory that put Clemson football on what it's been is, uh, it's pretty funny because I think sometimes people forget, forget about them early years yeah. <laughs> uh, you know and I you know and I tell you all the time like that's one of the things you look back on is you know obviously I left right before that first CFP game with Alabama um, in 2015 but I said man you look back on we knew we were close um that the pieces to the puzzle were there. Um, you know, that 2012 team was, was really good. Um, uh, you know, ended up beating LSU and, and then the 13 team was good. And obviously the big win over Ohio state. And, um, we just always felt like at the time, you know, we never could time it up where like we were 
really good on offense and really good on defense the same year. It was like we always would say if we could take that 14 defense with the 12 offense yeah. or the 13 offense, it's like, man, that would have been a really special team. And so we just weren't there yet. Um, but recruiting obviously had taken off. You know, we were getting, you know, some of the, mo- the, the, the most elite guys in the country were coming. So we knew it was close, um, you know, and it was it was just a matter of time. Um, and then obviously uh, when you're able to get guys like Deshaun and, and guys come in that are, you know, generational quarterbacks, then you know it's, you know, something you're not far off from having a lot of success. But, yeah, it's a, you know, you, you have, I always have a big smile when I look back and say, you know, you're a part of that build phase, you know, um, of the success of the place. And, and it's like, hey, man, I was a, you know, even as a GA or analyst, where you're a really, really, really small piece of it, but you're like, man, you just you saw it coming. Um, it was just a matter of time. Speaking of some of those headset moments, uh, Dabo just uh, just revealed a, a funny one from from that '11 season a couple weeks ago. He said, uh, I think he was, I think somebody asked him about that Orange Bowl, and he 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 he. Uh, Shared a snapshot with Chad over the headsets. He said that Milt Louder, uh, early, I guess oh, yeah. that spring, Taj threw a bad pass or something, or had a bad day during practice, and Chad had no idea who Milt was, and he sees this guy talking to Taj uh, on the practice fields, and he's like, who in the hell is that talking to my quarterback? And Davo explains that that's Milt Louder. He he's actually does a good job. He's a team psychologist, blah, 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 blah. So finally, Chad gets used to that. Uh, but <laughs> when things started going haywire in the Orange Bowl, he's yelling over the headsets, where's Milt now? Where is he? Where is he? We need Milt. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. No, there, that, was, that was a good moment in time. Man. It was, uh, you're just kind of sitting there like, yes, where's he at now? He's like, we need him. Where's he at? I don't see him. But, uh, no, it was, uh, you know, we had, uh, it was funny that for a while, like, when the, uh, the, I guess in 2008, Dana Holgerson was the offensive coordinator at Houston. We'd gone down to Houston at Tulsa. We play them. They put 70 on us down there. Wow. So then 2010, he's at Oklahoma State as the offensive coordinator. They got Brandon Whedon. They got Justin Blackman. They got dudes. And they're rolling on offense. And they scored, I think, 68 on us that, that game. We, we played pretty well on offense. And then the next year, we go to that. Orange Bowl play West Virginia, and he's obviously there. And I'm like, okay, we played this guy twice in the last three years. Now here we got to play him again. Surely, you know it's going to be different. And, nope. <laughs> and I remember sitting there in that game, and I remember, I remember sitting to myself like, all right, I've scored a lot of points <laughs> on people in my day, and I was like, but this same guy has now scored. 68 plus on me three different times from from and I'm sitting there going at three different places and I'm like I'm like sitting there thinking to myself like I don't care what bowl we go to next I just don't want to go where this guy's playing like I, just, I want no part of that and uh so I remember during that game coach came up to we're standing there and he's like man he's like I've had a lot of points put on me before and I've gotten my butt beat but he's like man I ain't never had this done and I remember sitting there and looked right at him and I was like I have coach oh dad must said this Yes, and I was like, I like, he may not remember this, but we're sitting in the middle of the game, and he's like, man, he's like, I've, he's like, I've had my butt beat stuff, but he's like, man, I ain't never had this happen, and I kind of looked at him, and I was like, 
You know, as a GA, you don't say much, but I was like, well, I have. And I said three different times now by the same guy. And I pointed over there at Dana and I was just like. That's great. <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, it's uh, at some of those moments you're just like, you know, because you look back in that game. I mean, I think we were, what, up by seven when, when yeah. Ellington had that fumble on yeah. the goal line. They ran, so it was a 14-point swing. And, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the outcome is different, but. If we go up there by 14 points, I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, it's just it's all those little moments in a game that, that you know that change the the flow of a game and all that. But it was, um, yeah, I mean, but I think, and I've heard people say this before. Sometimes that may be, you know, one of the the, the best things that happened. You know, in terms of just programmatically, you never know because um, you kind of you have a really good year and you kind of recess and reset and say, hey. You know, to continually get better. Um, you know, what do we got to do? Um, you know, because it's just like when we got there. Um, you know, in the spring of 2011. I mean, obviously, Clemson had good players and had done a good job. And you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, hadn't had the success they'd wanted. And um, but I think it aligns too with why a lot of times you see coaches at certain places have success, and then at certain places they don't. Um, it's not because they're not good coaches. A lot of times it's just philosophically, you know, maybe what the head coach wants to do differently or whatnot. Obviously, Billy Napier's a really daggum good football coach. Yeah. And uh, I think everybody knows that and um, has gone on and had tremendous success and will continue to have success at Florida. Uh, and so there was a lot of, you know, a lot of the guys that were there, part of those teams where they were maybe a player or two away or injury away. Um you know, having success we had that 2011 season. Um, so um, it's always interesting. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone Griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Solero Communication 
Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. The the schematics in football, it's such a cat and mouse game uh, between the offense and defense. uh, And I think that's really illustrated greatly with the sort of evolution of last decade, like Chad Morris gets here and really, really the big reason that Dabo went after him is that he had that Gus Malzahn system that was just all new and fresh and it was just something different. Nobody else in the ACC was doing <clears throat> the tempo and the and the horizontal and vertical stuff. But over the last, you know, you fast forward to now and that system is like, I mean, it's everywhere. You know, uh, it's, you know it's, it's funny you say that. I mean, I... I was sitting there, we were looking back and we were talking about a minute ago about that staff at Tulsa, um, that, you know, that 2007, 2008 staff. Um, and you look at the coaches on that staff, you know, obviously coach Malzahn and what the success that he's had and Herb Hand who's you know, been the O-line coach at Texas and he's going to be a good head coach here in a matter of time. He's down there at central Florida with, with coach Malzahn now. And, uh, obviously coach Morris and Mike Norvell and, I mean, and then you look kind of offensively, like you said, the schematics of everything, like, and what the branches of that probably tree have gone and spread out. And I look there, like, as a young guy, like I say, as a GA, I'm sitting there going, at the time, you don't think about it. But now I look back, you know, 12, 13, 14 years later, and I'm like, holy smokes, like, you look at the wave that that offense is kind of taking over college football to your point. I'm like, man, like that was a pretty cool moment in time to be a part of. Yeah. And you don't really realize it with what the landscape of college football is now and being a part of it in that room. And sometimes you're like, man, I'm just sitting here, you know, doing the GA work or whatever. But you realize when you look back, like, holy smokes, like I was around some really good ball coaches and really an offense that's kind of, like you said, taken over. Um, And like to your point, you know, the whole. We came to Clemson. Yeah, there wasn't. I'm trying to think of my head. There wasn't a whole. I don't know if anybody in the league was any, doing anything. You know, obviously the plays were the plays, but just the presentation of, you know, what we did and how we did it, you know, was what made it successful. And that was always the thing that we kept, you know, telling ourselves was here we were at Tulsa with, with a really good scheme. Now we're at this place where you can get the elite players and put this you know, in place, we felt like, Hey, this is where it's going to get really special. Um, and we'd seen it happen obviously at Auburn and I, I'm not for sure on this, but I think just in my conversation, I want to say like, you go back to coach's point about, you know, with coach Morris, you know, I think when he, you know, reached out trying to find you, I think Mac Brown and uh, coach Malzahn kind of said, Hey, the guy you need to talk to is Chad. And, uh, kind of pointed them in that direction. I'm not for sure. Don't hold mm-hmm. me to that. On that. But that's kind of what I gathered just through, you know, the profession, but, um, cause you know, Mac and those guys at Texas, you know, it, um, 
obviously tried to hire Chad before, and, and obviously A&M with Mike Sherman had tried to hire Chad, so he had opportunities, and I think it was just a matter of time. Um, you know, he was in a situation where you're sitting there at Lake Travis, you don't have to leave unless you're going to go be the coordinator, um, you know, to, to, to run it and do it your own way. But, yeah, I mean, it was um, – just coming over and it's kind of the right timing of everything. Of, of catching. And that was one thing I think Chad did a really good job of um, was, you know, being able to schematically, you know, create those mismatches uh, with our players with, you know, with the Sammies and the Nukes and Andres and all those things. But like, I think the thing that after that 11 season, we had success and there was like one thing Chad did a really good job. I think really good, you know, coordinators do and i think coach elliott did this as well and um was they always you know stay one step ahead because obviously defenses are going to adjust like you say now you look forward you know 10 years and what are you doing to kind of stay one step ahead because they're well coached and well paid on defense but it's like you know at 2012 season we're like we go meet with nevada and it's like hey we're gonna go to pistol and kind of you know be a base out of pistol just a little tweak you're not changing philosophically what you do but you're going to try to present a different element of what you're doing to try to keep yourself you know one step ahead and then you know there's good and bad and then as the next year in the 13 we said hey what can we continue to do um where the pistol may have helped us hey we're going to still keep that element of the game but it was hey we started you know getting more into the rpo stuff um you know, we'd gone out there to Arizona State and with Norvell at the time when they were when Coach Graham was at Arizona State, and so we visited with them and kind of started, you know, trying to tie those pieces in. Uh, and the RPO was it was starting to kind of take over more so. Um, and we were doing a lot of that stuff already with the pre and post snap stuff um, off the off the option game that we did a little bit of and in the downhill run. Um, but it was like, okay, what can we continue to do to try to piece these things together to kind of keep us, you know, one step ahead of those defenses. And, um, you know, I think that was one thing that Chad did a really good job of is we knew we had really good players, but it was like, okay, let's, you know, try to make this thing, you know, unique as we can get it each year. Is it fair to say that while 10 years ago, the cool, the coolest stuff offensively was happening at the college level that here in almost 2022 with so much sameness across college football philosophically that the cooler stuff now is happening at the NFL level and sort of trickling down from there. You know, it may almost be a little bit, you know, used to it was, you know, like, okay, what you saw in the NFL trickled down to the uh, college game, then down to high school. I think honestly, what you probably see now is the things that go at the high school level come to college and then the college games gone to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost probably backwards. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying backwards, but just opposite of that. Um, because I think a lot of times the high school part of it, um, I haven't spent a year as a high school coach really opened my eyes to this. Like, you don't, I mean, you have who you have. And so, you know, you're, I think that's guys, why guys like coach Malzon, coach Morris, um, you look at guys like even, you know, Kyle Richardson there now, it comes in Mickey Kahn. Why those guys are successful as they move up in the, the levels is because they've had the, the developmental part of football's developmental game. And so those guys, man, they've, they've coached at a level where, you know, you have who you have and you've got to adapt your skill set or, you know, your scheme to the skill sets you have. And, you know, you don't have the luxury of, you know, going out there and finding the five-star, 
that's going to, you know, walk in the door and say, well, I've got a system that I'm going to recruit to. Um, you know, I think, you know, so you've got guys that are really good teachers and, and developers of the game and the techniques that allow those guys to be creative. And I think the one thing that you probably get, um, you know, more so probably with, with, with Chad and with, with probably coach Malzahn was, um, you know, those guys, the creative thinking part of it's there and, and they're not afraid to do something and, and maybe not have success versus I think sometimes, you know, as coaches, you, you may not do something because you're afraid to make a mistake because you're, you know, whether it's your fate, you're going to get fired or whatever it may be. I think some of those guys are just kind of, it's kind of like that gunslinger approach a little bit, you know, um, and, and approach it like that to where you're going to give yourself a chance to, you know, be different and be creative and, and not be afraid to think outside the box. You know, I think that was one thing that, you know, Chad did a really good job of and I've tried to take even with me in my career is, you know, you don't want to kill the creative thinking um, from your staff and from people around you. Obviously you're going to do what you do and you got to operate within that system. But, you know, you want guys that want to feel comfortable enough to where like, Hey, let's try this. I think that was one thing Chad did a really good job of was, Everybody in that room, whether you're the GA, whether you're an analyst, whether you're quality control, whether you're the you know the tight ends coach, Coach Pierman, whoever it was, you know every idea and thought was valued. It was it was if you came to the table with it, he was going to hear you out and was going to give you the chance to you know put something in. There's a lot of things we did that ideas were from you know whether you know Joe Craddock, myself, uh, whoever. Um, you know, that we'd run a lot. I mean, it kind of goes back to your point at the very beginning with Wes. I think sometimes the outside world doesn't realize how much of it's collaborative effort. You know, I think that's been one thing probably that people probably ask, you know, Wes and, and even Mickey to this point of, well, what's, you know, how's it been, you know, operating now with BV gone? Well, so much of it's collaborative effort during the week anyway in the game plan that you can remove one person and you can call the game if that makes sense. And so I think that's where you have success programmatically is where it wouldn't have mattered if Chad would have left or whoever at the time, and, you know, hey, like COVID now, hey, he can't call the game. Who's got to do it? Well, the next guy in there, can anybody in that room could call the game because you put that plan together week to week. And I think that's where, um, you know, he did a really good job of bringing guys along. I think Coach Sweeney does a really good job. That's probably one thing, too, you know, developing coaches. Uh, I think, you know, as you develop players, but as a coach, too, I know this now, even as a coordinator, those young guys on your staff, like, hey, I want those guys to, you know, go be coordinators if that's their goal and be, go be head coaches. And so I think for, just like for me, it's, hey, how can I help those guys achieve that goal and, and do what I can to help them? Uh, and I think coach did a really good job of giving you responsibilities and you know i remember coach sweeney would be like hey you know you've been doing this i want you to help with camps for example mm -hmm. he's like because i know with you know you take a job somewhere you may not be at a place like clemson and you may not have the resources and you may have to be in charge of the you know the camp or whatever and i want to give you that opportunity here to learn and to be in that and you know um you know, kind of like Brad Scott would be like, hey, I'm going to show you how to work this, you know, transcript sheet and work up, you know, the hours and make sure all this. And, and it's like, at the time, you're like, well, I don't need to know this. But, well, guess what? You go to a place that don't have, you know, 15 people doing that job 
and you're the one doing it too as the coach, well, you look back and like, man, I'm glad I, <laughs> I'm glad that guy took time to invest in me to help me develop and learn that because now I'm not having to go ask that question. I, I know how to do this. And so I think that's one thing that's probably, you know, he didn't get enough credit for um, in terms of developing the people in the program. But that's probably why he promotes too, because you develop those guys in there and you just kind of move them along the way. So. I remember Chad before Deshaun played a down telling me he reminded him of Vince Young. He obviously invested a ton of time in getting him to Clemson. How hard do you think it was for him to to leave just a few months into into Deshaun's career? Oh, I think it was extremely difficult. I mean, you spent I mean four, three or four years recruiting Deshaun and, and we knew what he was and what could what or the way he could be. Um and the potential that he had to really turn that program and which he ended up doing. Um, and so, yeah, you spend a lot of, a lot of sweat equity in that thing. Um, and then to, to, you know, have the opportunity to go be a head coach, I think pulled at him and a chance to do it in his home state was the other part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was extremely difficult. I, I mean, you're sitting there like, man, I've got a chance to obviously they're not handing out head coaching jobs. <laughs> so when you get the opportunity to go do it, you know, you got that allure. And then on the flip side, you're like, man, I got a generational quarterback that I've spent four or five years of my life recruiting, knowing what he's going to be, knowing we're going to have a chance to compete for a national championship in our minds. I mean, we knew the people close to us. We felt like that was the piece with some other pieces that were going to give us a chance to do that. So I would, yeah, I mean, that was a extremely difficult thing for him to do. I know it would have been for me, um, but also, too, that, you know, there, there's there's really good players every year. Now, they're not always the extent that maybe Deshaun Watson is or Trevor Lawrence. But, um, you know, you may get to coach a guy like that one time in your career if you're fortunate enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just – I think you're just – I'm in a tough seat to be in myself. So, I don't – you know, I don't know if there's a right way to answer, yeah, <laughs> answer yeah, that. Yeah. You know, you, I think – Go ahead. Sorry. But I think it's just, you know, you kind of got to, you know, the opportunity to be a head coach and, and um, you know, those. I think that was something that ended up just being the, the pull part of it, you know, especially back in Texas. Did you have an opportunity to go to SMU with him? You know, I did, um, you know, and, and that's always the, you know, I get asked that all the time and, and uh, you know, it's always the, I guess, the million-dollar answer sometimes, but uh, – I didn't, uh, you know, for whatever reason that was, you got to ask Chad that. And then, um, you know, and uh, uh, I've wondered that from time to time, but also to know that, man, that uh, the good Lord, you know, keeps certain doors closed and opens other ones and um, tried to, to to focus on that. But, uh, yeah, no, that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> interesting part of it there. But, uh, you know, like I said, I – You'd have to ask Chad that, but, uh, you know, I, I think the world of Chad, um, I think he's a heck of a football coach and, and, uh, was always very good to me. So, um, it's gotta be hard for anybody who's been around him or, you know, uh, close to him to, to see. And I don't, and I'm, this is not a, in a negative light, but I think it's pretty obvious the college football, the machine has chewed him up and spit him out in just a few years. And it, I just, it it has to be a really hard thing. It has to have been a really hard thing for him to to go through. He's now in back in high school in Allen, Texas, I believe. 
Right. Uh, just kind of an amazing um, sort of fact of life that, and I think a lot of assistants who have remained here for much longer oh. than they would have been elsewhere, that in the back of their minds, not necessarily Chad Morris, the example per se, but like, hey, you better you better go for the right opportunity because you could be, you know, sitting there three years down the road, you know, wishing you had your old job back. No question. I think that's, um, you know, uh, part of, partly, you know, why a lot of people end up when you have, when you're at a place like Clemson, you know, we talked about this earlier, you know, the, the place is special. It's different. And I think, um, and Bryce here, BV talk about all the time, you know, don't, don't screw up happy. Right. And, um, you know, nowadays with obviously there's the, um, the quality of life aspect of it and you're worth good people and you're obviously well compensated and, um, you're at a place where you got a chance to win it every year and you're, you're working for a guy that's, you know, phenomenal to work for in terms of your quality of life, you know, your, you know, all those things that you look for. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, um, situation where you better, you better be, you know, really careful. And then also too understanding that if your goal is to be a head coach that, you know, you got to strike when the iron's hot because you're only the hottest at the current time, if that makes sense. And, uh, you know, and, but you better be selective. And obviously if you're at a place like Clemson, you got that opportunity to be selective, um, because of where you are. And, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you see a guy like coach Morris, it's a phenomenal football coach, you know, go and, and obviously it turned SMU around, gets an opportunity to go to Arkansas. And then just, I think, you know, you know, from the, just from the get go there, um, they, they never gave him a shot to, to have success. And that's my opinion. I mean, you know, to me, when you hire a guy like they did, and then 18 months later, you fire him to me, they weren't trying to hire somebody to build a program. They were trying to hire a play caller. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is they just thought, Hey, we'll plug and play kind of like this portal, you know, we'll just plug coach Morrison here, let him call some plays at Arkansas and we'll be all right. Well, that's not how this thing works. Like, you know, we live in a microwave society now, especially in the coaching world where everybody wants instant oatmeal. Well, it doesn't work like that. We talked about earlier, football is still a developmental game and it's a timing thing. Like Hot Rod McDowell, one of my favorite people that I have ever been around at Clemson, he, he was a guy that was a developmental player and ended up being a really good player for us. And but he wasn't when he got there, Coach E and those guys developed him into the player he was. And then obviously his hard work and, and attitude allowed him to have that success that last year. But that's the thing. Like people want this instant gratification or instant success. And they think, well, we'll just throw money at the problem and it'll fix it. We'll hire a guy, pay him $20 million and he'll come in magically and just, you know, put fairy dust out here and we'll all of a start winning games. Um, it doesn't work like that. And so, you know, you're in, we're just in that world now where, um, you know, you still got to get the right people in place. You still got to develop, you still got to build. Um, and it's not always going to happen at, you know, at the pace that maybe you want it to happen. And, um, you know, I think that, um, I go back to two, uh, your point, you know, like with jobs, I think just, you have to be, I think every job's got to fit. I think, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the person, I think so many times now, why you see people that aren't successful at, at coaching jobs is 
because sometimes I think these processes in the search go through is they don't find the right fit. You know, it's like I've always laughed, like, just because you're a good offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, that doesn't mean you're going to be a good head coach. Okay? I, that means you're good maybe at calling plays or doing something. Um, doesn't mean you won't be a good head coach. But Coach Sweeney's a perfect example. Like, I mean, they hadn't been a coordinator. Obviously, he's a really good CEO, I think. So I think sometimes the system is a little bit flawed in just in terms of how they go about saying, well, this guy's going to be the next, you know, great head coach because he's the offensive coordinator somewhere, the defensive coordinator somewhere. Like, you know, like Brent Venables is a perfect fit in Oklahoma. Like that job, like BV, that, that job is him. Like that, that's a fit thing. Um, I think everybody knew when that job opened up, that was a job like, man, that those people would be nuts not to, you know, call Brent for that opportunity. Um, and we talking about the University of Oklahoma. Like, I mean, it is what it is and uh, a blue blood program. And so um, I just think that, you know, sometimes people get enamored with, you know, whoever this hot name is and they put a guy into a spot as a head coach and he doesn't have success. And then two years later, three years later, they're, they're in the same seat again, trying to find a head coach because you get all this money or something that's thrown at something. And they, you know, they want to make a splash hire instead of making the right hire. Um, Cause they're worried about, you know, what, what recruiting is going to take a hit. Like, man, I've heard it said before, but like in recruiting, it's not the ones that you, you know, that you don't get the hurt. It's, it's if you get the wrong ones that come to your place. And so, um, you know, just like if you want to have success, you know, as a program, you better make sure you get the right fit in there uh, to lead your program. Um, if that makes sense a little bit. Yeah. Last question. Uh, so you were at Western Carolina for five years, then went to this uh, recently completed your first season at Wofford. Did you have a relationship with Josh Conklin? Like how did that develop over the years? You know, I really didn't. Uh, I knew a couple of guys on staff just through recruiting because I've been in the same league when I was at Western and, and gotten to know those guys just on the road. And, um, but no, I really didn't. Um, you know, and was uh, down in Atlanta, uh, coaching high school ball and enjoying it. And I obviously wanted to get back into college with the right opportunity. And, um, you know, got a, when uh, Wade Lang retired and had an opportunity and just kind of went from there. And, uh, real good program to get back into it and, and, uh, kind of get started. It was funny because, you know, they'd ran the triple option, you know, for so long, 30, 40 years. And then, uh, get the opportunity to go there. And obviously coaches, you know, philosophically was ready to, you know, shift it and, and open it up and, and do some things differently. And so, uh, that was intriguing for me and just, uh, you know, a chance to be in a really good place that's had tremendous success and, and kind of build that thing in terms of, you know, offensively, uh, differently. And so, uh, it was, uh, it was a no brainer for me and just a chance to, to, to get back in and, and obviously a chance to be back in South Carolina was exciting. Um, you know, in a place obviously extremely familiar with and then the Southeast as well. So, uh, kind of where I, you know, been in recruiting. So that part was a, a lot of, but no, I didn't know him. Uh, but I, you know, it's funny, <laughs> you know, you look sometimes and when, when opportunities come along, both times that I've taken jobs like that, like I didn't know any, I mean, I knew Brad Glenn at, uh, Western Carolina, who just went to Virginia Tech, um, but he was the offensive coordinator at the time, but really didn't know uh, the head coach at the time there, Mark Spear. Um, 
it's almost like sometimes when you try to chase jobs or something that <laughs> mm-hmm. doesn't work out versus when sometimes you're just sitting there and not expecting anything, the phone rings. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's almost like the opposite effect a little bit of it. But uh, I just, I've learned this thing. You just try to, you know, be content where you are, do a really good job. And, uh, you know, obviously you have goals and aspirations and you work towards those, but, um, you know, do a really good job where you are. And I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, good things will happen and, and you'll get to, a chance to achieve those things. If you just, you know, do a really good job where you are. So I got to ask one more, what was it that you saw out of Sammy? What, what specifically that first practice that you saw, uh, Sammy's first practice in, in August of, of, of 11. I mean, I'm just curious, what did he do? Right. <laughs> you know, I, uh, it's probably it's probably hard to pinpoint on one thing. I will say the one thing, and I, and I say this even as a receiver guy, you know, coaching for a long time. There's guys that catch the ball. And there's guys that attack the ball. Yeah. And he doesn't catch the ball. He attacks the ball. It just his fluidness um, as a route runner, and then obviously attacking the ball. Um, you could just tell. Like it's kind of like Deshaun. You know, you mentioned earlier. You know, him talking about you know Deshaun, reminding him of Vince Young, like. I remember we were out there and, you know, he was an early enrollee for us. And I know you're asking about Sammy and I'm back on the show, yeah, but yeah. Um, we're out there at practice and, you know, Coach Venables, you know, he he wants to send the house to ever play against us on offense because we used to joke in terms of it would be team pass or team blitz. It turned out team dial blitz. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we would, you know, we're like, okay, here we go. He's going to send everybody. But Deshaun, it wasn't, I don't know, it might have been one of the first couple practices out there and, I think it might even have been the first live reps he got in terms of like really just where we kind of stepped off and kind of let him go. But he flipped the protection, read it out, threw it, and made a made a play and threw a ball in there. We kind of looked like okay because we really hadn't we'd gone over that stuff, but we hadn't gotten into the detail yet. And this kid should be in high school getting ready for the prom. We're like, man, he just did that. We're like, okay. And then you kind of fast forward a little bit to that Georgia game. Um, mm-hmm. there in, I guess it was 14. And uh, when he threw that touchdown pass to uh, Sharon, and uh, he threw that ball in there over the back room between the safety and, I mean, put it right in the spot. And it was like we had kind of known playing against Pruitt the last few years at Florida State, this pressure that we felt like we knew we were going to get it. And so we'd gone into the game specifically with a, a check for that um, to get to protection-wise in the call. And I mean, Deshaun executed it flawlessly. It was like, you know, bring the guy in, check the protection, boom, throw the ball. And it was like, I mean, you kind of looked like everybody, everybody had that wow moment that, like, say on the Saturday, but it was like, you know, those are the throws we kind of seen early on. Like, this cat's different. Like, so back to back with Sammy, you just kind of know, like, God, there's just guys that people call it the it factor. I usually like that with quarterbacks now. Like, but it's just some guys are. They just, they've got something to him, and you just kind of see it right away. Like, this guy's got some, he's got something different about him. He's got some juice to him that he does things that are, that are God given. He's obviously got a ton of God given talent. Um, but you just kind of knew, like, hey, and I think Sammy's thing too was just his mindset. Like, I remember talking to him early on when we first got there. He's like, man, I'm here. I'm going to be here for three years, and I'm going to the NFL. Like, that was the kid's mentality. Like, he kind of he knew what he wanted to do, knew how to get there, and that was kind of his thing. And um, you know, that was the the competitive desire for him, Deshaun, and even guys like Taj. 
Um, and a lot of those guys from those teams, that was probably the one thing. I just, the guys love to compete. But, yeah, it was just, you know, they were kind of, you know, Zoom focused in on what they wanted to do and, and how they wanted to get there and kind of had a plan. You know, some guys, they start driving the car and they don't know, they don't, they tell you they want to go somewhere, but they don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to get there. Those guys, the ones that are those guys that are like elite, like they kind of, they know the plan. Like the plan may deviate at times, but they know what they want to do and how they want to get there. And uh, you can always just kind of tell. And obviously there's a ton of them now there at Clemson uh, that have that kind of ability, but it's just, you can always tell. Um, and at the time he was different than what we had there. Not that we didn't have good players, but it was just, it wasn't like you had multitude of them, if that makes sense. And so he, he, he was a, he was a different, he was a different dude now. <laughs> if Tyler Carlton is the head coach entering the 2014 season, does Deshaun Watson start from day one? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a, you know, that was a tough situation. Cause I mean, you're sitting there and you know, you've got guys that are, um, you know, it'd been there like with Cole, it was a really good quarterback. I think it was just saying it wasn't like Cole did anything to lose the job. I mean, that's always the tough part is, um, as a young coach, you learn something those, you know, he just happened to be in a situation where you got a generational quarterback coming through. Um, you know, and it wasn't like the kid did anything to lose the job. It's just, you had a kid like Deshaun there. Um, and so, uh, I don't know if there's a right way to to handle that. You just kind of have to go as it goes, if that makes sense. I don't think you can. Um, because one thing, if a kid, like a, you know, I don't know now, like as a coach, you're sitting there and you have a, a battle to position, and a guy either overtakes or a guy loses the job. I mean, it's just like you kind of can validate it with saying that. But it wasn't like, you know, the other guy did anything to lose the job. Or, or you know, it was just – the other kid was just really, really good. And uh, you hate it because it wasn't like, you know, I think Cole, uh, the world of Cole, and, uh, I'm still close to, to this day. And, uh, you know, it was just it was a tough situation to be in. But I don't know if there's a, yeah. I don't know if there's a right way that could have been handled or a wrong way, you know, so. And I don't, like the Georgia, uh, you know, Deshaun's skinny. You know, you don't want his confidence shaken. You don't want him broken in half in that first game in Athens and him, it to sort of stick with him for the rest of the year. So I can right. see the logic in that for sure. I've always thought the time to start him was Florida State. That was the time to say, okay, you're the guy. Yeah, I uh, think that's, you know, back to your point, like I think that's true a lot. And, I, you know, the longer I'm in this, you know, I can say you, you see why, you know, certain things. You put a guy um, – you know, in there too soon for something, and uh, you can burn a quarterback, especially, um, and you can rattle a confidence. And so much of that position is is that confidence piece of being able to, you know, be confident in yourself, like to have that, you know, that kind of that not arrogance, but just a little bit of that, you know, like, hey, I'm the guy. And if you rattle that confidence early on in the guy in his career, uh, you know, sometimes you may not be able to get it back. Um, and so I think that's always the fine line as a coach that in each situation is different of where you go about saying, Hey, you know, how, how do I handle this situation here? Because, you know, you got a kid that's going to be really special, but like you say, you don't want to put him in there too quickly to where it, you know, goes the opposite way, um, in a tough environment and all those things. And, um, you know, obviously it ended up working itself out pretty good, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's always, that's the tough thing that, you know, if 
you know, was falling to of like, okay, we got this kid that we know is really good and going to be really, really special. It's just, where's the right time? I don't, I don't think it's, it's easy to always look back and say, yeah, it could, but at, at the time, you know, you, it's like you can only go off the information that you got at the time at hand, you know, so. Um, I, I can't stop thinking about that 11 Wofford, what he, Chad say this might be a quick Carolina <laughs> vacation. That's one of the funniest things I, I've ever heard. I mean, it was. I'm. I mean, we're sitting there like, holy smokes! I mean, we're just staring at. And I'm like, he's like, well, yeah, this might be a quick Carolina vacation. You know, if you know Chad, you know he's got his those quiet those, those one you know one word or little quick wipes that he would say, and you're like, man. I'm sitting there thinking like, well, I didn't think about that because I'm sitting there going, holy smokes! Like, because I mean, I said. I'd only been in coaching at the time for about, I guess it was my third, full year, fourth year counting. And I was like, I mean, like I said, I, I was born at night, but not last night. I knew what <laughs> happened. You lose, you know. Oh, man. Lose. Especially, like I said, you know, coming in that season and all that. Like, I mean, we, we knew what, what needed to be done and how those things are. But, um, yeah, it's it's a, <laughs> it's always funny now that you look back at it. You're like, you're like, man, like, how and that's, but that's what's fun. I don't know how much time was left in that game, but you think of the success of the last decade. I was telling somebody the other day, in that game, and where you are, like, you're like, I don't know, nine minutes or whatever it was left in the game. We were down. And it's like, how, and that time's probably like those nine minutes right there, <laughs> the last decade of, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how much of that could be different. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you just, you don't think about that at the time, but it's like, you know, it's like that play come on the orange bowl with Andre. Like you just don't, those plays that come and got you, you know, it's like the analogy your coaches say all the time. Like, man, there's four to five plays in a ball game that they go differently, that the outcome's different, which is true. I mean, you just, and seasons change over certain plays. I mean, it's just a whole, I mean, it's just, it's wild. So it's, so it makes it fun, though. <laughs> or, or, or the weight game that November. It was the week after the Georgia Tech loss, and y'all were on the on the brink in that game. You don't win the division if if you don't if you don't get the ball back. I think and Catanzaro hits that field goal and that whole different yep. spin of the year. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean that's the thing. Like you look back at so much, and I think that's the thing that. You look back on as a coach as you grow in your career in those moments and those games. Of you know, everybody remembers the you know winning the league for the first time in twenty years and the, the big moments and you know being down eighteen or whatever twice at Maryland and you know coming back and winning those games. Like those are the things that like people don't. So many of those things can go the other way and the season's completely different. And like it's it's you know like even you look at this season, like for Clemson, like, and I am not gotten to watch, I mean, obviously a lot of, cause you've got my own season and stuff, but you know, the fact that they're sitting there where they are. And, um, I know this, like if, uh, the record they've got right now, if that's a down year, like, Hey, I'll take that down year any year. Yeah. Like, believe me. I mean, cause I, I've, I've been on their side of those things and they're, they're not fun. So it's like, I think that's the, sometimes you do your best coaching in those, in those seasons like this. And, and in these moments of, um, you know, getting guys. And I think that's a testament though to the culture and the place in terms of um finding ways to win ball games that um you know maybe you shouldn't end up winning, but you do because you got good people and you got the, the players that just they they know what it takes to win. And uh you know, I think that eleven season, like you say, I mean there's just you look at all those games, I mean it was just the fact to go win the league and 
and do those things was, was pretty special. Um, uh, but uh, how we did it in those certain games, like I said, people forget about that Maryland game when Sammy ran that kickback. Yeah. I mean, down by 18 points twice and like the weight game, like you say, kicking the field goal. Like, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's wild. I mean, but that's, that's what, uh, <laughs> then that's that, like I said, that's what, you know, got that thing rolling. And, and, uh, uh, like I said, we, like I said, schematically, we were doing something. We felt like offensively that gave us an advantage and we're able to, when you got really good players, your scheme's going to be really good, <laughs> you know? Um, I think that's that's no matter what you run, um, but uh, now it's exciting though. Like I said, uh, I think people are going to be really, really uh, excited about Wesley uh, as a defensive coordinator, and, and uh, you know, obviously, really excited for uh, for Coach Streeter as well uh, and his opportunity. I think he's going to do a really good job. So, um, you know, I think it's it's an exciting time again, and um, you know. The one thing there is that coach does a really good job of making sure those everybody there is aligned and everybody's moving in one direction. And it's a, I think that's the, the key piece in the puzzle. Um, as long as you got him at the top, you're going to have success. So, Tyler, you've given me a lot of your time. I could sit here talking for three more hours, but I, I appreciate it and uh, I'll let you get back to your family and uh, – Really cool stuff. Lots of lots of great stories uh, from the last decade. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. No, I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. And shoot, we'll have to do it again sometime, man. And uh, I always enjoy getting the chance to walk down, uh, you know, memory lane. Don't get to do it a lot, you know, because you're getting, like I said, the, the rat race of life and the fast pace. But it's always nice to, you know, as we sat here and talked, there was a lot of things that kept coming back to my mind that I probably hadn't thought of. <laughs> you know five ten years so it's always cool but uh now i really appreciate it man and i always enjoy listening to you guys too so appreciate it yeah all the best to, to wofford all the best to you and your family as well merry christmas merry christmas and happy new year all right wow awesome 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 conversation with tyler carlton appreciate his time also appreciate the support of our very loyal sponsors most of all thanks to all of you for hitting play every week everybody enjoy the bowl game be safe we'll be back next week cheers